Hi, this is John Byrne with Poets of Quants. Welcome to another episode in our continuing series, a deep dive into the Johnson College of Business at Cornell University. Today, we're going to talk about business evolution and change in preparing leaders for the future. We know that the future promises even greater automation than we've already seen. The impact of technology will increase, not decrease. And how will managers and organizations cope with those changes? And today, we have an excellent person to address those issues, Hernan Science. He is the leader of the global practice for performance management at Bain and Company, the famous consulting firm. He's also a visiting lecturer in management and organizations at Cornell's Johnson Graduate College of Management. Welcome, Hernan. Thank you, John. Delighted to be with you. So people are worried about the pace of change, how technology will eliminate a lot of jobs in the future, what automation really means, who will be protected and who won't be, and what is it like if you have a job and you're in a leadership position and you're leading through this era of change? What's your sense of that today? Well, first of all, I mean, there is no doubt we are in yet another industrial revolution, meaning that we have both very deep and very broad change across the entire business world. So uh, at Bain, I get the benefit of, of looking across industries. I also get the, the benefit of looking across capabilities. And, and the reality is every industry, every sector, and every capability function or department within those sectors is changing in dramatic ways. So indeed, we are in a revolution. And, you know, it is caused by multiple factors, right? The ability to produce and collect and analyze data in a highly connected world, right? It is it is fundamentally changing everything, everything that we do in business. And so how you connect and talk to customers is changing. The entire value chain that produces the product or service that you're bringing to a customer is changing. And even the, the definition of what a product or a service is and how you might price it is actually changing. So we are, we are no doubt in a very different world. And the implication, of course, is if products and services are changing, if the processes to talk to customers are changing, and if the processes to produce the products and the services are changing, then by definition, the roles embedded in those processes are changing, and therefore most jobs in the world are changing today. That includes the frontline jobs and the expected behaviors and, and the best practices of the frontline. It includes the middle roles, the uh, all of the middle management roles, managing what are now completely different processes from the ones they had in the past. And at the very top of organizations, it is the CEO and the CXOs that are having to A, drive the current business and continue to generate significant economic value while fundamentally reshaping everything about their businesses as they do that. Now, Hernan, you know there are people who fear change and the disruption that comes from it, and there are people who embrace change and see it for the opportunity that it can be. Obviously, in a MBA program, you're seeking to do the latter, to help people understand the changes that are coming and to actually see them as opportunities for better performance. How do you do that? 
Yeah, so absolutely, right? So what is probably the worst thing that you can do today as a company or as a person is stand still. Because the reality is the future will be nothing like the present and the future will be very different from the past. And so you have to fundamentally adapt and change. And so how do you do that, right? First of all, as a company, how do you do that? You have to remember, the, the way we think about it is you have to remember that you are fulfilling a raw need for a customer. So for example, you know, the, the raw need in the automotive space is transportation from point A to point B. And of course, there are existing business models. In today's business model, I go to a dealer, I buy a car, and I finance it, and I take it home with me, and I use it you know, less than 1% of the time. It's always parked somewhere. And so as a business, how are you going to change? Well, the raw need stays, right? Individuals need to move from point A to point B, but you can change everything about the product, the service, the pricing, and the value chain. And so what can you do, right? We can, you can create fleets that move people from point A to point B. You get rid completely of marketing budgets. And from now on, you buy transportation as a service. So as a CEO, right, you have to go back and rethink what is the raw need of your customer and what is the best way to fulfill that in terms of product or service. Now, we're coming from a generation where products have been forever with us. Think of Old Spice and deodorants. In the future, products and services are probably going to change dramatically within months. And, and what about jobs, right? Well, what's happening on the job side? Obviously, well, we, we know two things. Number one, we have artificial intelligence. And artificial intelligence is not general intelligence. And, it, and we are unlikely to see artificial intelligence become general intelligence in the near future. But what it can do is it can actually do repetitive tasks really well. It can actually learn while doing repetitive tasks how to do them better. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see some jobs go away as automation and robots and bots take over those jobs. And we're going to see a premium for two things that machines cannot do in the job world. Number one, machines do not have general intelligence. And so there will still be a significant number of jobs thinking about problems and how to solve them given the enormous amounts of new tools that we have in the business world. And separately, right, machines will never have imagination or creativity or empathy or the listening skills that makes us human. And so my expectation is we will also see a dramatic growth in the services sector. What are the implications, as you were saying, for an MBA education? Well, in the past, you know, you could get an MBA, uh, learn accounting, learn finance, learn a few tools that were likely not going to change much in your 30 to 40 to 50 year career and get away with it. I suspect that any tools that we learn today will have a lifespan of less than five years. And so what's going to have to happen, right? One of the things that is going to have to happen is we're going to have to teach people much more often how to think, not how to deploy a tool in a repeatable way, which has served us incredibly well in the past, but how to think. So how to step back, how to frame a problem, how to define what data is necessary, how to actually create a hypothesis, how to test the hypothesis, how to be robust about the testing of the hypothesis, etc. So my, my assumption is one of the things that we will see is a resurgence of the scientific method 
in all education as we retrain all of our brains to actually solve problems. That is one of the things that I expect. The second thing that I expect is I do expect the curriculums to become more technical. I just cannot imagine a world with the amount of data we have, computing power we have, connectivity we have, artificial intelligence we have, where folks are not incredibly conversant in the words and in the understanding of what digital means, of what advanced analytics means. And so I don't think we can be teaching traditional statistics. I think we need to be teaching far more complex and advanced uh, data analytics uh, types courses. That's interesting because in addition to putting more emphasis on things like creativity, high-level cognition, social and emotional skills, you also have the opposite in some way, uh, the analytical skills necessary to dig through big data sets and use them to make decisions. Correct. I see two completely different and very interesting paths in a world where machines take the center and the center is repeatable processes. I see highly technical highly uh, analytically oriented jobs, right, that are the ones that continue to define and frame the problems and create solutions using all of those tools and technology. And again, in that world where we're interacting not with other people, but with machines and bots, we better understand how the technology works. So yes, all of the technical training, the analytical and the technical training has to be there. But yes, you point out something incredibly important, right? Again, what makes us human and different from a machine other than general intelligence, right, is the ability to listen, to care, to love, to empathize, to create, to imagine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so what I think we will see is a resurgence of the uh, the softer side of the business schools, right? So, so whereas people have been really excited to take financial engineering classes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, I think there will be a huge premium in business schools that are able to develop and teach their folks psychology, sociology, anthropology, all of those things that allow us to understand people better, groups better, and cultures better. And Hernan, we also have to work with machines. So on some level, isn't our definition of teamwork going to expand to being uh, a team member with a machine? <laughs> yes. I mean, I, you know, so two, two, interest, yeah, two, two interesting definitions that change. The definition of team changes and the definition of firm changes. So let's start with the first one. Team, like you said, is totally different. Number one, in the past, you were probably sitting in a job where you had a reporting relationship to someone and people had relationships reporting to you. And your team was defined by all of those relationships near your organizational chart. That was number one, right? That has changed, right? As the world has moved completely away from hierarchical jobs and much more towards agile teams, where you basically come together with people that you may not sit close to you in the organizational chart and you deploy together. Now, who is part of your teams? Well, a bunch of machines. You are absolutely right. And a bunch of data, right? And they can do a lot of the work for you. <laughs> That's the beauty. Right. Right. So and a lot so, of the drudge you know, work. Yes, absolutely. You can go you overnight you can ask your advanced analytics machine to uh, do all types of uh, sexy and complex analytics on data sets that you have been able to put together through another machine. 
And then you can wake up in the morning and do the most interesting part of the job, which is understand what may be driving some of the correlations that you're observing, where the correlations are spurious versus driven actually by, by causality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, so you should expect that you're going to be working with machines, right? I expect GNA functions, corporate support functions, they will have tremendous amounts of usage of robotic process automation. So you may be working with a bot as your right hand when you're processing payables or, or processing receivables. Now, from a firm perspective, this is even more interesting. I expect firms uh, or the boundaries around firms to disappear, and we are all going to become ecosystems. And so mm. in, in today's world, to think that you can actually generate inside of your house all of the necessary skills to be competitive is out of control. You will never be able to do that. We've had this forever, right? We've had outsourcing. We started outsourcing by doing some of the IT. Then we did some of the outsourcing in other shared service functions. Well, outsourcing will be a way of living. And in fact, it won't be outsourcing. It will be partnering. And so you will actually, the, the definition of a firm is going to change. You're going to sit at the hub of an ecosystem and you will bring in competitors, providers, customers together to create services and products for your customers. Right. I mean, if, when I look historically at who benefits from change and who becomes a victim of change, I think of two things. I think of the initial impulse of people to deny that change is happening or that change is happening at a pace that will actually result in the extinction of a company's products or services. And then I think of what also paralyzes many organizations and people, which is cannibalization. If you look at Kodak, you look at Xerox, you look at any company that has gone through technological change, and you see examples of first denial and then fear that uh, embracing the new path is going to cannibalize your existing profit center. How do people overcome that, either as individuals or as organizations? John, this is a fundamentally important question in business today. Let me start with a little bit of historical data. I have been either guest lecturing or teaching at Cornell for the last 20 years. And part of what I have taught is that one of the biggest mistakes in business is to run far away from your core when your core is competitive and stable and making money. Right. And that, that the extra dollar is always worth putting behind that core because core is what you know best and where you're most likely to win. And we had some examples of people who over-focused in the core and put blinders around their eyes, but we all knew them by hand. It was Tower Records, it was Blockbuster, it was Kodak, it was Xerox. And there was far more of like, you know, no, you, you departed from the core in ways that made no sense when you had a very good core. I expect that the next 20 years, we're going to have the opposite problem. People will be sticking to their core and trying to protect a model that they know, a set of emotions that they're comfortable with. And what we're going to see is a number of incumbents with blinders and more than ever. How do you deal with it? Again, from my perspective, you have to go back to the raw need of your customer or consumer. They buy something from you because they have a, a specific need, right? When you or I or anyone buys a treadmill, we don't need a treadmill, right? We need to make it easy for us to work out. 
and the whole world in the Americas, at least, of fitness has been a failure, right? People join in January, they never go to the gym. People actually buy a treadmill, they never actually use the treadmill. It's where you store your, your newspapers. Right. Right. Well, what is the model that's working, right? It's Peloton, right? Why? Because they make it super fun. What was the raw need? It was getting me off the couch and working out. How did they do that? They did it through connectivity, through data and connectivity that allows me to receive a class in Dallas, Texas, that is actually being done in New York by a superstar trainer. My raw need was get me off the couch. That is provided by Peloton. It's not provided by a treadmill company. And that is that is where we need to go back. Like cars today, what are they doing, right? They have these huge marketing budgets so that you buy a BMW because you saw it on TV and you saw it at the race, et cetera. And then you end up buying a car for $70,000 that you actually use 1% of the time. The rest of the time, it's parked. At some point in time, we're all going to get smart and say, all I'm going to buy is a service from where I go to where I end. And what brand that car is, is not going to be quite relevant. And so go back to the raw need and say, what product or service do I need to provide to you? What's the best way to get it to you? And what's the cheapest way or least expensive or most efficient way to do it from a supply chain? That is what's going to happen in the world. That is what's happening today. It also means that the world of strategy is fundamentally changing, right? The world of strategy for years, unless you were in high technology or high turbulent sectors, was look out three to five years, and based on what you saw, do a present forward attack on your strategy. So you, you're in the present, you're going to start doing a set of things. They will get you to a really good place three years or five years from now. Well, you now have to combine that because we live in the present. We need to deploy tomorrow with a future back perspective, meaning right, what you build in the next three years is also step one on a multi-step journey that is defined by what you think. And so think of Uber, right? Uber did not start as an application to get any type of car in any type of city, right? It was a way in one city to find a type of car that you couldn't get, right? Since then, it's evolved into a UberX, Uber Eats, et cetera, right? And what we argue is you have to do present forward, future back, and very often, you won't know what step two is going to look like until you take step one. Right. So, Hernan, one of the things that I'm thinking here as I listen to you is that a well-trained MBA and a great MBA program would be in a great position to figure out how to disrupt an incumbent. And if we think about how we are in this another industrial revolution, Change definitely brings opportunities, and to the extent that many incumbents won't react quickly or fast enough or change in time, that allows entrepreneurial-minded people to take advantage of the situation and to launch new ventures and to seize the day. Am I right? Without, without a doubt, this is a, this is a rich time where you can you know, the, the way the world works, right, is uh, the massive players over time try to serve a massive market. And with the benefit of scale, uh, end up serving multiple segments. At a time of turbulence, that becomes very difficult to defend because I, as an insurgent, can micro-segment you, grab a segment that you're not dealing well with because of your scale, 
uh, and apply uh, technology in ways that you are not nimble enough to apply and start picking you off. And so, yes, this is a great time for entrepreneurial ventures. So whether you're an MBA who's going into a corporate environment and can maybe help change and, and keep that organization up to speed, or whether you're someone who sees an opportunity and a niche play as technology changes environments and uh, products and services, and you play it that way, it seems to me that a well-trained MBA is well-positioned to take advantage of the future. No doubt about it. And the more that you practice the scientific method, right? the ability to frame and solve problems given the tools that are that exist in your day, the more that you actually become digitally literate and understand automation, advanced analytics, machine learning, et cetera, and the more you, re, you return to the, the core of being human and understand, internalize, and are able to use the tools of the humanities, of psychology, sociology, and anthropology, the more you're going to win out there. All right, Hernan, thank you so much for a really compelling conversation. You've been listening to Hernan Science, who is the global practice leader for performance improvement at Bain and Company, and also a visiting lecturer in management and organizations at Cornell's Johnson Graduate School of Management. This is John Byrne with Poets and Quants. Thanks for listening.